If you've done damage to a relationship with somebody you love, they're going to need time to heal and they're going to need time to themselves. They're going to need time to process things and think about who they are without your influence in their life. And that is a very difficult journey. That is a journey that I've actually had to take myself many, many years ago. And now I help others do the same thing. So if you've done damage to your relationship and you want the best chance at reconciling the relationship, I mean, if there's still love in their heart, there's a chance. If there's not, then you don't know what's going to happen. But I want to give you the best chance at reconciling with somebody you care about, if that's your goal. And at minimum, I'm going to help you develop new coping mechanisms and new behaviors so that you show up as the best version of you. I'm talking about the program that I created called Healed Being, a very powerful, very effective, and a very life-changing program for those who need it. Check it out over at HealedBeing.com. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, and I am here to help you learn the skills you need to deal with life's challenges using emotional intelligence and critical thinking without compromising who you are. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Always seek a professional for your mental health and well-being. And um, for anyone else, just come here. <laughs> if you need anything else, I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm trying to do my best to put this out there in hopes that it will help you, whatever I talk about on this show. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's just begin the show. Let's begin the episode today. I'm just going to read you an email and I might read you another one. We'll see where it goes. The first one is this person actually was responding to something, another show that I did a while back when they wrote about uh, an issue they were going through and they wrote again and said, you know, I'm going to listen to these episodes that you suggested and uh, thank you. And I had this relationship for a long time and now it's been almost a year since she left. But uh, over that year, she began her journey. She went on her way and uh, without me. And I guess what I'm asking is I have never stopped thinking of her and praying for her and her kids. Am I doomed to always feel this way? That's it. Am I doomed? And thank you so much for writing that. And I don't mean to laugh at you. I know you're it sounds like you're going through some stuff there and uh, I'm going to wish you much strength and healing through this. And I'm going to answer your question in two ways. The first way is a direct way of what you wrote because you said that uh, she went on with her life and I'm going to give you my definition of love in case you never heard it or you forgot it. My definition is supporting the other person's path to happiness, even if their path is going off in a different direction than yours. That means if they decide they want to do something else with their life without you, loving them means supporting their path, supporting their decision, supporting the journey that they're on. That's love to me. And so to answer your question based on that philosophy or that um, definition of love, 
I'm going to say that uh, if you're thinking about her in that way, then you're not doomed. I know it's not easy to just say, okay, I'll think about her. That I know it's, it's hard when you have a uh, dependency on someone else for your happiness. And so this comes down to, uh, this is my second part of this answer. This comes down to your own sense of self and who you are without that person in your life. That's my two-part answer. The first part is, if you truly love someone, this is, you know, that's the old phrase, right? If you love someone, let them go. Set them free. If you truly love them and you set them free, that is a loving gesture that is selfless. That is showing them that you are in support of their happiness. What better, wonderful gift could you give to someone than to support their happiness? And that is hard for someone who depends on someone else for their happiness. And that's the second part of my answer again. If you are dependent on someone else for your happiness and you are using them as your source of energy, the positive energy that you can bring into your life, if that is your power source and you can't be happy without them, then what you're doing is you're going to end up in what you said doomed. You're going to end up like that or it's going to feel that way because you're going to continually obsess about them and think about them and wonder why they aren't in your life or hope they come back to your life or think that you can't be happy without them. And uh, I was there. I, I was there for many of my relationships, all of them before this one. This relationship is the only one that I don't draw from my girlfriend, my partner. I don't, I don't draw from her. I am happy with her. I gain a lot of energy when I'm with her, but she's not my source of energy. And what happens when we make somebody our source of happiness or our source of energy is we drain them. And I am speaking from first-hand experience uh, and many failed relationships because I became uh, depressed after my first long-term and then I became miserable after my second one broke up. And then I became miserable again after my marriage disintegrated. And after my marriage disintegrated, I told myself, I keep relying on other people for my happiness. I keep looking to them to uh, make me whole. I keep looking to them to fulfill me. Instead of bringing my whole fulfilled self into the relationship. And so that's how I ruined them. And I'm not saying to this person who wrote, I'm not saying that you're, you ruined your relationship. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that uh, relationships suffer when we draw energy from the other person like they are the source. We have to plug into them to be happy. And so I had to learn, and this is something I learned in my marriage when my wife then, she said, you know, I look at my uncle and he treats his wife so nicely and he said it doesn't matter what she does, it doesn't matter what she says, and it doesn't matter where she goes as long as she's happy. And I heard that and I thought, I'm a terrible husband. <laughs> I don't think I said those words, but I felt pretty bad because at the time I wish 
I could have been just like that. I wish I could have been that way. I wasn't that way with my wife. But after my marriage, that that message really hit. It really hit me hard. And I said, why couldn't I have just wanted her to be happy? And that was the new definition of love for me from that point on. I just want you to be happy. And if that means you'd be happy not being with me, that's what I want for you. And I extend that thinking, because why would I want someone to be unhappy with me? Because that wouldn't be a a fun relationship. That wouldn't be a good relationship. If I was still that person that drew from others for my happiness, and I got into a relationship and I drew from them, then what is their method of being happy? It's like I'm pulling their happiness from them. This is what we can do sometimes when we have a dependency on someone for our happiness or for our energy or for our fulfillment in life if we don't feel whole without them. And I'm not saying it's not good to feel whole with someone. I, I, I get that. I feel more whole with my partner today than I do alone. But if you know we broke up, that would be terrible and I would be sad. I'd be crying. <laughs> If that happened, then I would have to regroup and learn who I was again without her. But I love myself and I'm happy inside myself as a person. Being alone doesn't mean I'm uh, okay being alone. I would rather be with somebody else. But if I have to be alone, I'm okay with that too. And um, if she left me, it would be devastating. But I feel comfortable in who I am. I have a solid foundation. So when I fall, when something bad or hurtful happens to me, I can get back up and say, hey, I'm okay. I'll be okay. And I'm going to move forward from here, even though I have some healing to do. Now, if I don't heal, I have to look at that and wonder what's going on. I mean, it might take a while. I mean, this person wrote, it's been 11 months. That's It's not a long time. It takes about a year sometimes to heal from certain relationships, especially when you have a lot of uh, interdependencies. And I don't mean negative dependencies. I mean just uh, you experience life with this person and, and there's a grieving process because the end of a relationship is like a death. It's like the death of something wonderful and now you have to grieve it. But it's not what defines you and that's what often happens with people that might have a bit of dependency on someone else for their happiness is that we just get stuck and don't feel good until we're with that person or another person. Like we need somebody else in our lives. So my whole point about these two uh, parts of my answer, the first part being you support someone's happiness, even if their path leads away from you. And the second part being, uh, if you are dependent on someone else's, um, presence in your life to make you happy and you're drawing from them, then you're only draining them and you're draining the relationship as well. So the two paths you can take here, and maybe you should take both paths, is one, are you really thinking of her in a selfless, loving way? Or are you thinking of her in a way that causes a problem for you? And so what that means is, If you are focused on yourself and how it hurts you, instead of focusing on her and how happy she might be, then of course it's going to affect you in a negative way because 
where's your focus? It's on you. And I know that it could work. It could be both of them. It could be, I want her to be happy, but I'm also sad that I'm not with her. But this is where the second part comes into play because we need to find out who we are without other people in our lives. And I had to learn that when my marriage ended and I told myself, I'm going to be single. This is it. I need to find out who I am. What do I like? What do I like to do? What would I decide if no one else was in my life? And that was a good time. Where would I live? And it was basically asking myself, who am I without someone else in my life? And when I finally figured that out, I was ready to have a partner in my life. It didn't take too long, honestly, but I had to heal. I had to heal first so that I didn't bring this need or dependency for someone else and drain them. I didn't bring them into my life to ruin the relationship because that's what I was doing. I was ruining the relationships by draining them and making them uh, be the source of my happiness and my energy. And if they weren't around, what that did to me is cause me to do behaviors that push them even farther away. So not only am I draining them uh, almost in an energetic way, but I'm also draining them um, in other behaviors that I was doing. And I had to work on my coping mechanisms because I had so many negative triggers because I had low self-esteem and I had fears and I had insecurities. So this all came back to who am I without someone else in my life? And if I can't be happy in myself, then I probably shouldn't bring someone else into my life until I feel at least mostly comfortable. doesn't mean I have to be fully 100% healed. Always working on that. But I want to be comfortable in my own skin. And sometimes we have to find ourselves. And when we're obsessively thinking about someone else, whether they're in our lives or not, we're not looking at ourselves. We're not figuring out who we are. We're not learning what we like. We're not learning what decisions we'd make if the other person wasn't in our lives. Like, um, am I going to move away just in case this person comes back? What if they come back? I can't move away. That's not really uh, thinking about yourself at all. It's still that dependency. It's still that um, draw that you're pulling on them, even though they may not even be in your life anymore. But that draw is the uh, external waste of energy that you are putting out there instead of holding it inside yourself and just telling yourself, I need to do something for me. I need to do something regardless of what they do. Because I can move 3,000 miles away and suddenly they might want me again. Oh no, what am I going to do? That's okay. If I want to get back together with them, maybe I'll make another decision then. Maybe I'll change my mind. Maybe they'll change their mind. It doesn't matter. You make the decisions based on who you are. And sometimes you just have to ask yourself, and this is one of the questions that I asked myself when I was healing, is what if I knew for a fact that there was absolutely no chance of reconciliation and that I would never, ever see them again? That's the question I asked because I wanted to find out what decisions I would make without them in my life. Because once I took them out of the equation of my thinking, my thinking changed. And I even um, used the scenario of what if they were dead? I know it's a morbid thought, but it really helped me get clear on how I think without thinking about someone else. Because even when you're in a relationship, you're 
always thinking about them, even in small ways. What do they want at the store? What can I do to make them happy? What can I do to not make them angry? You're thinking about them in different ways. Can I watch this TV show? Do they want to watch a show? Our brain, the wiring changes when we have somebody else in our life. But when they're not in our lives, we have a chance to discover who we are. And so to the person who wrote, that's what I have for you. It's not the answer you're looking for. I know it's not. <laughs> but it, it is the right answer. But I also want to give you an extra um, resource, which is go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and look up my episodes on obsession or obsessive thinking. Because you're going to find uh, those are very helpful to help you where you are today. Because I have a feeling if you were to reword your email, it wouldn't say, am I doomed to think like this all the time? It would say, I can't stop thinking about her and it hurts and I don't know what to do about it and I just want them back in my life. What do I do? Because it's probably not going to happen and I know this, but I can't reconcile with that thought. And what do I do instead? And so um, that is the most uh, difficult I've talked about this before. It's the most, one of the most difficult problems to solve or work on when it comes to um, what I talk about here, because it's obsessive thinking and obsessive thinking. I could give you a magic pill and you'd still obsess about it because I could say, well, just stop doing it and you won't. I could give you the directions and you wouldn't follow them. But the whole point is when we have obsessive thoughts and we can't stop thinking we can't get past it this is when we have to look inward and ask ourselves okay what if they i knew for a fact that they were never coming back and i'd never seen them again and maybe even go to the point where we ask ourselves what would i think or do if i knew they were dead and again I, i'm sorry to put that picture in your head i know it's very sad but of course there'd be a grieving grieving process and then after the grieving process then what and you might have to grieve for a long time but then what because there's a point where you will move on and that might help you move on. And maybe you don't want to think that way and that's fine. I don't want to push you in that direction. That could be traumatic. I don't, I don't want you to do that if it's too traumatic. But I do want you to think that uh, who would you be if? How would you think if they weren't there? What would you decide if they weren't there? If you knew you were never going to see them again? Then what? Because usually we're too influenced to just discover who we are. And I want you to discover who you are. I hope this helps. Let me go on to the next email. Okay, this person, what did they say? They they complimented me. Thank you so much. They complimented the show. I don't want to read all that, but thank you for your words. And she goes on to say, today's episode, for instance, when everything bad happens to you. In fact, that's the episode number 501. When everything bad happens to you and tomorrow will be just as bad or worse. <laughs> That's the title of the episode. And uh, uh, that was, yeah, that, that was a, a tough one to make because what do you say to someone who's had bad luck and more bad luck and more bad luck and everything bad happens to them and no matter what you say, it gets worse and worse. So I decided to address that if you ever want to hear that episode. But she goes on to say, uh, in that episode, you talked about people always facing hardships until they reach a point of exhaustion. I am currently going through that. I have reached exhaustion. I have gotten tired of fending for myself. I wish I had someone to face life with, but since I don't, I have to get my own back and I have to keep going even though I have lost the ability to focus. Your podcast helped me keep things in perspective and made me realize I'm on the right path even though it's strenuous. 
I'll keep going until my focus is back. Thank you so much for writing that. And I'm so sorry you're going through that, but I wanted to read this email right after that last one because you are working on yourself. You have to rely on yourself. You have to figure out how life works when it's just you and maybe against a system, maybe against the world. And it's difficult, but you're doing it. You're going to make it happen and you're going to get through it. You're here today working on it. You've gone through a lot. You've probably gone through a lot in your past too. And this is what it takes sometimes. Sometimes you just have to keep moving forward. I'm always a proponent of any type of forward momentum, even if it's baby steps. So you might have it hard today. You might have it hard tomorrow. You might have it hard in a month. But what happens on the next month? Maybe it's a little bit easier. Maybe it's different. Maybe everything changes. Maybe it gets harder. (laughs) Maybe it does get harder. Maybe it will, but you're still here. You're doing it. This is you proving to yourself that you can do it and you will do it no matter what. It's almost like, uh, what's a good way to put it? Giving the finger (laughs) to everything and everyone and saying, I don't care. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it happen. Sometimes you have to say that. Sometimes you have to do that. And sometimes you just have to push through it until you make it happen. I talk about this on that other episode, so you can tune in to that. And uh, the person who wrote, um, thank you again for writing that. And uh, I don't necessarily uh, have a suggestion for you. You're already, you're in the the weeds. You're in the weeds. So get the weed whacker (laughs) and do your best to cut those weeds down or a machete. And uh, this is all proverbially speaking. (laughs) You don't have to do this for real, but uh, it's a good visual. Because you're gonna sometimes you have to whack down the weeds. Sometimes you have to get through them, and uh, you'll find a way. You have to. You find a way. I mean, this is what I this is what I tell myself. I have to get through this. It doesn't matter what it takes. I'm going to do it. Yeah, but Paul, life is so hard, and you have no money, and you have no job, and you have no house, and I'm gonna do it. I don't care. I'm gonna get through it. So again, I talked about it in the other episode, but I wanted to share this after that last email. Because, yeah, life can be hard on your own and it feels like everything is against you or people are against you. And um, you have the ability to do this. You have the energy inside you to do this, even when you feel completely drained because you're still here and life is hard sometimes. And if you've gone through the tough times before and you're still here, then you're doing something right. This is my philosophy, my belief. But I wanted to share that, and if it helps anyone, uh, here's a person that has it really tough, and she's going to do it. I know it. And uh, sometimes you just have to pull it out. I mean, I heard somebody say that. Sometimes you just have to reach back and pull it out because it's in you. Sometimes you have to do that. Let me read you this last message and see where we go with it. The person wrote, "Uh, Hi, Paul. I hope you can provide guidance on this situation. I find myself obsessing over this issue I have with a friend. We go way back, but problems only started once we had started attending the same course at university. I was then introduced to her friends who were very friendly toward me. Then from that point on, in social situations, she would be cold and unresponsive. I would speak and she wouldn't respond or look at me and she might even talk over me. After a year of not saying anything, I finally spoke to her and she made me feel like I was being needy and weak. I distanced myself for a long time, but she eventually or we eventually became friends again, she seemed to have changed. 
And I introduced her to my friends and now she's doing the same thing. She's very friendly with my friends and has become close with them, but she's colder to me in group situations. Every time I'm in this situation, it makes me feel like my power is gone and I don't know what to do. I feel anxious around her and I don't have any confidence when I'm near her. So uh, what do I do? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm sure some people have experienced this. This is very unique circumstance, actually, because you were friends once and then she was cold to you and then you got together again and now you're friends again. But uh, here we go. Full cycle. The first thing that comes to my mind with this is that uh, her mom or dad is raising her in a way that um, might be a little bit uh, challenging for her. So I imagine, and this is totally guessing, I'm just guessing, I imagine what she's experiencing or what she has experienced in her upbringing was that um, maybe she herself might have been needy. And I don't mean in a bad way, I mean uh, a child has needs and those needs may have not been fulfilled. And she may have been made to believe that being needy or dependent on someone, here we go, needy and dependency again, uh, is a bad quality and those might have been squashed in her. And if they were, if she senses anything like that in someone else, even if it's not really there, but like you might just be trying to be a friend, but she sense some sort of what do you need from me kind of feeling, or she's interpreting it that way. And she was taught to squash that or not uh, have needs herself. Then she might be uh, pushing that onto you because it might've been neglected for her. She might've felt neglected growing up and that's how she learned how to treat others. So that could be it, but I don't know, that may not help you. Like I may not actually have an answer for you here, but I'm helping you maybe understand a perspective that might uh, help you communicate with her in a different way. Now, if this were my quote friend, <laughs> I'd wonder why do you, I, I mean, I think I would ask the question, why are you so cold with me around other people? Now, I wouldn't ask in a needy way, like, can I ask you a question? Because you never, you seem to ignore me and you never talk to me. You know, I wouldn't ask that way. I would feel confident in myself because if you ask the way I just uh, role played there, what you might get is a trigger response from her, an old response from her childhood. Because if she was taught not to be needy, if she was taught not to cry or, or she was taught that it was bad to show emotions or whatever, you know, whatever the function or dysfunction was back then, then that can get pushed into conversations and communication with uh, adults around her. And what will happen is when you trigger that in her, then she might see you and treat you as if it was her mom treating her that way. And this is what can happen or her dad or whatever. Again, armchair analysis, I'm making big assumptions here. It's not even fair for me to do that. But I'm uh, looking at this in a way that if it were happening to me, this is kind of how I would think. Maybe something happened to them when they were growing up and that's why they're doing this. But uh, in practical terms, we're, we're looking at things today and how can we deal with this today? I would just be straight up. You know, When we're alone, you're so friendly. But when we're in a group of people, you just ignore me. What's going on? What's happening? That's not a needy place. That's just an observation. That's how I would approach it. That's an observation for me. Hey, notice that uh, you just, you're kind of cold toward me. What's going on? And if she said something like, 
well, you're, you know, you're being needy now. What's wrong with you? I would just say, no, I'm not. I'm just asking you, you change. You know you change. That's what I would say. I would say, you know you're different. It's clear that you're different. I think you're a great friend. I love you. I want to spend time with you. But when you change like that, you know, it, you know it, you're just a different person. So I'm just trying to figure it out. Keep it very factual. Keep it very matter of fact. And uh, keep it out of the trigger territory for her. If you want to address this. I mean, really, maybe you don't have time for friends like this. It could go that way too. But it's challenging. You're in the same class and things like that. So it's nice to be upfront. Hey, this is what's happening. This is what I see. Uh, let's talk about it. But I like to keep out of the trigger territory to get somewhere with it. I mean, somebody else might say, well, who cares if she gets triggered? That's not fair. Just say, don't treat me cold. What's your problem? <laughs> you could do that too. I like to keep the peace. I'm kind of like a, a functional people pleaser now. I try to keep the peace amongst people because if I have to see them every day, then I want at least some peace, some comfortableness. I don't want it to be awkward. And so what I do, I would just be upfront. Now, the last thing you said uh, is that you feel like your power is gone and you don't know what to do. And when you said that, that is probably what she is detecting in you. Because if you feel powerless, I, I try that on and I think, okay, if I feel powerless, I feel defeated. I feel um, left out. I feel hurt. And if she sees that in you, just like maybe, again, just guessing, maybe she was brought up that way. They saw a weakness or they saw what they considered a weakness, which is I just want to be held. I just want to be hugged. I just want to be loved. If they, her parents or whoever caretakers saw that as a weakness, then they may have treated her differently and may have squashed that in her. And now she sees it as a weakness in others. So if I'm going to avoid trigger territory, I'm going to show up not weak. I'm going to show up confident in myself. I'm going to feel good in myself. I'm also going to approach this person feeling confident in myself. Now you said your confidence is gone, but I want you to just put that confidence back on because I know that so it's easier said than done. I know, but what needs to happen is we need to stay out of her trigger zone. And if we can stay out of her trigger zone, then we can have a real conversation. And that does involve her not sensing any what she considers a weakness. And again, I'm not saying that is you at all. I'm saying she was brought up to believe that is. Because why would she say it otherwise? Why would she say those things or avoid you? I mean, she never said you were weak, but uh, oh yeah, she did. <laughs> she said you were being needy and weak. So that's where I got that. So that's what I mean. If she's saying you're needy and weak, then she learned that somewhere else. That's not um, anything that's happening currently. That happened a long time ago. And so she's bringing that into her adult relationships and adult conversations. So, okay, how do I communicate with this person? I'm going to communicate on a different level from a different place just to find out what's going on. And also just be upfront, be honest and get straight to the point. But uh, what I was going to say is that if you feel like your power is gone, that's conveyed. And that's also a, a throwback to what I was talking about in uh, email number one, where this person might have been very dependent on another person for their happiness. And in your case, it might be a slight dependency on this other person for your sense of self-worth or self-esteem. And again, that's unfair of me to say because that may not be true at all. 
But um, when we feel slighted and we feel hurt, I mean, she's a friend, I know, but this is something that we look at in ourselves and, and say, you know, this isn't about me, it's about her. It really is, it's about her. So I'm going to uh, regroup inside myself and say, hey, I'm great, I love myself, I'm a good person, there's nothing I'm doing wrong. I know I'm not. I know I'm not doing anything wrong. You just say that to yourself. I know I'm not doing anything wrong. So something's going on inside of her. And if it's about her, then I can feel confident in myself again. Because it's about her, not about me. When I make it about me, that's when we are uh, aware of something going on inside of ourselves that we're looking for external validation. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just it can become uh, what it's turned into here. It can become you reaching out to someone in a way that makes you feel good about yourself because if they don't like you, then who are you? That's a good question again. Who are you without this other person in your life? I think when you answer that question and you feel good about the answer you get, then you can approach situations where you're not looking for that external validation because you know you're all that in a a good way. (laughs) You're all that. And uh, when you get to that point, which again, that could be a journey. When you get to that point of high or at least higher self-worth and self-esteem and a healthy ego, I feel good about myself, who I am, then you might be able to reach a place where you can have conversations where you don't lose your power because your power comes from inside you. And when it comes from somebody else, that's when uh, you're dependent on them for this external validation and you're raising your self-esteem and self-worth. And that can go wrong because not everyone can be there for us to do that. Some people can. Some people can be a constant source. Some parents do that and uh, other people can do that for us as well. But when we have a reliance on it, this is what happens. We get into a situation where we don't know how to handle it because we are reliant on someone else to kind of complete the cycle of how we feel about ourselves. And that can be a little dangerous as we've learned today. And as you may already know, it can be a little dangerous. So I think that's the only thing I can tell you is that if you're going to address this, be upfront, don't go into that powerless state. And the way you do that is to imagine who you are without the person. And if you do have some self-worth or self-esteem issues, I have episodes on that over at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Just look up worth, look up esteem. You'll find episodes that will definitely help you there. And then approach a person knowing that you deserve to be treated with kindness and respect and not be ignored. You deserve it. Because if they're friendly and connecting with you when there's no other people around, then why aren't they doing it with other people around as well? And if you're afraid to talk to this person and ask these questions or let her know your observations then I would weigh the friendship and ask yourself, is this friendship worth saving? I mean, that may sound a little bit uh, like, okay, I'm just going to run because I don't want to deal with this. But it's true. If you have to ask yourself, is this friendship worth saving? Is this person a good person? Do I want them in my life? Then if it's a yes, if this friendship is worth saving, then it's also worth the risk of getting to a conversation like this because it may not go well. I'm going to be honest with you. It may not go well because that means facing herself. I mean, if you bring this up, it will mean facing herself. It's like highlighting something that she uses 
as either a defense or a self-protection. Well, it's the same thing. And she might be using that as her method of coping with tough situations. If she senses a, quote, weakness in you, she feels like she gets to keep her power. She gets to feel good about herself by ignoring you amongst friends because she wants to be the center of attention and being the center of attention gives her that powerful feeling, makes her feel confident inside herself her external validation. And if that's in there, she may not be able to explain that to you or want to explain that to you because then she'll feel powerless. But uh, if that were the case, if she said, well, fine, I I don't want to deal with you. You're just so needy. You can say, look, I love you. And when you're ready to talk about this, I want to be your friend. I just wanted to bring it up because this is what happens. And it just doesn't feel like we're friends at that time. So please, when you want to talk about this, I'm here for you. And that might end the friendship and it will plant a seed in her mind to let her know that you're a safe person to share with. Because if she really is a good person and she just has this little thing that she has to deal with because of her childhood or whatever, then she's going to come back eventually. She's going to think about it. She's going to remember the good times with you and realize I don't want to lose this. And that might mean her being vulnerable with you. And it might mean her saying, look, I didn't want to connect with you back then because you had red hair and nobody else did. I mean, it might be something like that or it could be something deeper, but this is how I would look at it and this is what I would do. So I hope that helped and thanks for writing and thanks for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. We'll be right back with my thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank the patrons of the week, Dilek, Victoria, Wanda, Maria, Fitzile. Thank you so much for your support of the show. And always write to me if I mispronounced your name, <laughs> just in case I am grateful for you. Thank you so much. And uh, if you find value in the show and you want to give back like these patrons did, head over to moretob.com and you have options to do that over there. Thank you, patrons. I appreciate all of you. And let me tell you about the other podcast I do. I've been doing it since 2019. It is Love and Abuse over at loveandabuse.com. That is a show about controlling and manipulative and emotionally abusive relationships and how to deal with them, how to handle them, or just simply toxic relationships. What do you do with those? Head over to loveandabuse.com and you'll get more information over there and uh, be a very helpful show, I think, for anyone that needs it. And if you are on the other side of this coin, you heard me talk about it at the very beginning of the show, I have a very robust program called Healed Being, and that's for someone who has been the difficult or hurtful person in the relationship, and they've really messed things up. (laughs) If you're messing things up and you want to heal from that, you want to stop the behaviors that are hurting other people, hurting the people you love, head over to healedbeing.com. The first four lessons are free. It'll give you an idea of what I teach and how I teach, and Uh, once you join, you can join the private Facebook group and you're going to experience a lot of changes. There are people in there going through some massive changes already. And so uh, head over to healedbeing.com if that's something you believe you might need. And finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And I'm going to read you one more email. It's actually about emotional abuse. 
I normally save emotional abuse and control and manipulation for my other show, Love and Abuse, but um, I think it fits in today's episode pretty well. So I'm just going to go ahead and read you parts of it because uh, there's some stuff I want to keep private for them. Uh, this person's been in an abusive marriage or emotionally abusive marriage for a number of years and they decided to uh, divorce for their mental health and their children. They said their mean score, which is the assessment in the workbook I talk about over at loveandabuse.com, their mean score is 140, which is out of 200. And that mean, that just means how much manipulation and control and abuse is going on in their relationship. So I created this 200-point checklist that tells you just how bad it is and what specifically is going on in the relationship. So 140, is, that's up there. That's a lot to deal with for someone. And I've seen scores, unfortunately, much higher. That just blows my mind. But there are people in very difficult situations out there. So 140 is definitely a difficult situation. Uh, she goes on to say, uh, your love and abuse podcast has been critical to my healing journey. I've remained in this relationship over the past several years as my spouse was diagnosed with a chronic illness and relies on me for health care. I feel guilty about leaving someone in that situation, even though I knew the relationship was to toxic. However, I have decided I don't need to suffer a life of abuse and creating a safe space for myself and my children is the most important or more important priority. Moreover, there are ways to ensure my spouse will get the required health care after the divorce. Any thoughts on this? She asked. I'm sure there are others in the similar situation who have chosen to endure abuse out of guilt. My journey to the decision has been painful, but I hope it can help others. First of all, congratulations that you prioritized your children and yourself. And yes, it is a very difficult situation because there is someone that needs medical care, but you're not a caretaker, you're a partner. You're not the person who's supposed to endure the abuse. You don't get paid to do that. Unfortunately, some mental health and physical health workers get paid to endure someone's bad behavior. But they have a whole team, typically. They have people that, uh, if it doesn't work out with that person, they hire somebody else and, and they replace them. You know, there's a whole system designed for most people to be in that you don't have to be in as their partner. If someone is in a situation like this and you are taking care of their health needs, that's not partnership. I mean, people are going to disagree with me on this, but if you're being abused, that's not a partnership where you are supposed to take the abuse and take care of their health because that is a paid position, unfortunately. I hate to say it that way, but there are people that get paid to endure someone if they're uh, a pain in the butt. <laughs> so I'm not really approaching this professionally, I know. But I'm looking at this as we're best friends in a coffee shop and you're telling me this and I'm saying, hey, you don't have to endure that. And you didn't. You, you decided to leave. And you're, you're right, the guilt that can come with that. But I don't want to leave because I'm their source. I'm their uh, means of getting around. I'm their means of staying healthy and getting their pills and getting them to bed and getting them out of bed. A lot of guilt can come with that because you've been the caretaker for so long, uh, but you're not the partner. And it's hard to take care of someone and be their partner. This is why almost always a partner cannot be someone's therapist or caretaker. 
I mean, it does happen. People get old and you have to take care of each other. I get it. But the person who's abusing you is pushing you away. They're doing it to you. The person who loves you and is accepting and grateful of your help is bringing you toward them, is loving you. It's, it's receptive. So they're either pushing you away by abusing you or they're being receptive to your kindness and your caring. So when they're pushing you away, that's nothing to feel guilty about. They're doing it. Abuse is pushing you away. Hey, if you stop abusing me, I'll stay. I mean, you don't have to follow this advice. It's not advice. But I'm looking at a situation where I love someone and I'm caring for them, but they're abusing me, so my love is waning or dissolving or maybe I don't have any left. And I would say, you either stop abusing me or I'll leave. And they'll say, they'll say something abusive probably. And then I'll make them accountable and I'll leave. That, I know, that's so simple. I have kids, I have a house, I don't have any money. But there needs to be some level of accountability for their abuse. And if you do have the means to leave the relationship and um, they continue to abuse you, you can say, when you abuse me, you push me away. So you got to stop abusing me because I'm here to help. I want to help you. I want to love you, but you're making it too hard. But if you can't get out of that situation, they won't stop abusing you, then that's on them. If someone who needs help abuses you, you don't have to feel guilty for it. I can't just say don't feel guilty. I don't want you to though, because it's not your fault. They are pushing you away. Don't feel guilty. For, I'll say it anyway. <laughs> don't feel guilty because you don't have to. It's their guilt. They should feel guilty. Damn, I, I shouldn't be abusing you. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe that's just not a good thing to do. Maybe that's unhealthy. Maybe that's not loving. And it is weird to think that someone who needs help is abusing the person that's helping them. It doesn't make any sense. But people do it. And so... It's on them. But I think it's okay to be upfront. Look, I'm going to help you. But if you're abusive, I'm not going to help you. Get it yourself. <laughs> Don't take this as advice. Again, we're in a coffee shop. You're my best friend. <laughs> and I'm uh, sharing my thoughts with you. I'm not going to be abused anymore. So you either treat me nice and I will help you. Or you uh, don't and I will leave. And you'll have to find your own way. Well, you can't do that. You can't do that to me. You're still being abusive. You're yelling at me. You're trying to make me feel bad. Well, if you leave me, that's, uh, you don't care about me. That means you want me to hurt. That means you want me to suffer. Don't go into defense mode. Just say, there again, you're trying to make me feel guilty. That's abusive. Do you want my help or not? Ask them straight up. Do you want my help or not? They may say, no, get out of here. Or they may say, of course, I need it. I have no choice. Yeah, you do have a choice. You have a choice to stop being hurtful. That's your choice. I know I'm simplifying this and it may not go that easy, especially with the very hard to deal with people. But this is your life. And if somebody is abusing you, no matter what condition they're in, Guilt shouldn't be a part of this because they're doing the thing that they should feel guilty about. You've done your part. Your compassion is turned all the way on. Overdrive. So if your compassion is on overdrive, guilt doesn't play a part in there. 
it's hard not to for a lot of people. I get it. But I'm telling you this. So just in case you're in this situation uh, that your compassion replaces guilt. Hey, I'm being compassionate towards you and you're hurting me. So you have to deal <laughs> this person that's abusing. That person has to deal with their own behaviors and heal from their own behaviors so that uh, they're treating you nicely or at least with some level of respect. I understand sometimes people are in pain and it makes them a pain in the butt. And uh, it, maybe it's not their fault. And I don't mean to put people down that are in pain and grumpy about it. I remember my dad's final days. I got to know him like um, 10 years. We had a 10-year hiatus. We didn't see each other for 10 years. And then I found out that he had cancer. And I, I really wanted to reconcile anyway and just show up as the new version of me with boundaries and things like that. And I showed up and uh, we got along great. But wow, I never saw this side of him. This very grumpy side. <laughs> I love my dad. I'm not putting him down for it. But uh, he had a very grumpy side. And I thought, is this how he always was? I just never noticed it. And 10 years went by and now I notice it. Oh, that's interesting. So he was going through some cancer treatments and he was grumpy. And the nurses really had a hard time with him. And again, I'm not putting down my dad. All due respect, uh, you know, he's gone now, but all due respect for his life and rest in peace. But I saw that, I saw his attitude toward them and it made me realize, wow, I, I can't imagine being one of those nurses having to deal with his attitude because he just wasn't nice. He was a nice guy all the time, but, you know, he was in the hospital bed. He didn't want to be there. He's probably in pain. He didn't want that. And it brings out personalities that may or may not already have been there. So that's another thing to think about that. But you're already there. You already have the compassion. This person who wrote, she had the compassion for him. She knows that he was probably in pain and she knows all that, but it still doesn't excuse the abuse. When you're trying to help someone and they are being hurtful and abusive, then you've done your part. You've tried. You've done what you could. And uh, there's nothing more you can do unless you want to stay and endure the abuse, as this woman said. And she decided not to. And she's probably still healing from that because kind, caring, generous, supportive people often tend to feel guilty that they haven't done enough. The problem is you never know what enough is. You never define it. And when you define what enough is, when you finally say, okay, what is enough? How much help should I give? How much compassion should I have? What is enough? then you decide that uh, you won't have to feel guilty because you've defined what enough is. If I help you and you yell at me, that's the part that's enough. And that's not on me, that's you. I told you not to yell at me. You still did it. So that's on you. I'm not going to feel guilty for it. And again, it's hard to turn the guilt off because kind, compassionate, caring, supportive people have a little difficulty with that. And it's understandable because they want to help. They don't want to see someone suffer, even if they are jerks, <laughs> even if they're difficult. I didn't want to see my dad suffer. I wanted him to feel better. And I bet those nurses just wanted to get him out of there, just like go away. But they did their job. And that's where I go with it is like some people do need caretakers and um, that's what their job is. And I don't think... It's up to a spouse or a partner or a family or friend to take abuse while they're trying to care for someone. 
And uh, when they make it too difficult, then they need to stop or you won't be able to go on. So again, uh, there's a lot of simplification here. But uh, my point is that guilt only takes place when you've actually done something wrong. And this person who wrote and a lot of people in this kind of situation aren't doing anything wrong. They're doing everything right and they're going beyond. They're going above and beyond. And what ends up happening is they get hurt themselves. And now two people are in misery. <laughs> and we don't need that. And so, again, you might have to do that ultimatum. You either stop abusing me or I'm not going to help you. And I'm, again, that's not my suggestion. That is just something I would share with you if we were friends in a coffee shop and I was telling you what I believe or what I thought you should do. And uh, that's where I go with it. So I wish you the best. I wish you much strength and healing through this. I know it has been difficult. And I do, like you say, I do hope it helps others that are in this situation as well. Thank you for writing. And thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. Always keep an open mind because that's how you step into your power. And be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing.